Hello everyone, welcome to the very first episode of our new series, Genesis. My name is Jonathan Chan and I'm so happy that you can join me today as we embark in this new journey through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And of course, customarily with every series and with each episode, we begin with a video clip. And so, sit tight and enjoy this video clip and we'll be right back. He knows too well how to manipulate the mob. Marcus Aurelius had a dream that was Rome, Proximo. This is not it. This is not it. Marcus Aurelius is dead, Maximus. We mortals are but shadows and dust. Shadows and dust, Maximus! Lyceum of Antonius Proximo. Caesar is proud to give you Alias Maximus. Shadows and dust. Maximus, we're shadows and dust. Are we and every living creature just shadows and dust? As Proximo would say to Maximus. When my eight-year-old daughter asks me questions about the nature of things, I give it my best shot, right? We draw from what we were taught, so I drew what I was taught. In school, uh, television programming such as David Suzuki's The Nature of Things, National Geographic magazines, science journals, and also just experience and observations that usually confirm what I've learned. Our conversations would usually start with her observations and she would tell me her hypothesis of why things work the way they do in her perspective. And of course, I would either say she's correct or most of the time, I had to correct her. For example, one time when she was only five years old, she said that the reason why there's thunder is because Thor is angry again. That's cute, right? Now, just some context. She loves superhero movies as much as I do, and hence, she incorporates narratives she is familiar with, such as Thor and Wonder Woman, with real-life observations. She's only five and barely entered into kindergarten at that time, so it's understandable. So I explained it to her that thunder was not made by some mythical god, but really a collision of atoms in the air. As she grew up and went through grade one and two, along with further conversations with me, she continues to form her view of how things work and how the world works. She's taking it all in, right? Processing it, the science and nature of things, the human interactions and the politics among the adults, and of course the politics among her classmates, her schoolwork, her play, and yes, she's even taking in her interactions with God and everything else. She's continually learning and observing to develop her own worldview. In fact, that's how many of us develop our own worldviews. When God reveals and helps her to put it all together to get a better glimpse of his kingdom and purpose plan, that's when she has an aha moment a theological moment, an inspired moment, a God-breathed moment. And yes, my wife and I have already witnessed a few of those in our little kiddo's life. So yes, 
She continues to create her worldview and also continue to experience God in that worldview and mush it together with this aha moment, a theological moment, an inspired moment, a God-breathed moment. Folks, this is Genesis. Actually, this is the Bible and what we call theology and scriptures that are God-inspired and God-breathed. We are reading the author's worldview, the author's theology of how the author saw God interacting with the world in light of how the author understood the world and how he understood how the world works, how he understood how the people interacted based on his observations, experience, and yes, even his education in retrospect. We are reading his God-inspired moments, his aha moments of putting all that he knows and what God has revealed together. The moments, like my daughter, where God enabled and revealed a bit more to help the author put it all together and get a better glimpse of who God is and why things are the way things are. That's the Bible. That's theology. That's inspiration. That's God-breathed. And yes, for this week and many more weeks to come, that's Genesis. And so, we begin with chapter 1. I entitled this chapter as Beyond Shadows and Dust. Because no matter what you or I or anyone else believes how the world began, whether it be literally seven days or just figuratively seven days, whether it be evolution or the Big Bang, whether it be theodicy, theophany, whatever you call it, everything in the cosmos originally had a good purpose, not just some momentary speck in an indifferent universe. And now, God has inaugurated a renewal of that purpose in Jesus, and that purpose is breaking into this world. So, what is this purpose then, you might ask? Well, let's begin with chapter 1 of Genesis. First, a little bit about the author. We are not sure who the author was. Now, some say it was Moses, and others say it was one or many priests. But there's a generous, sorry, general consensus out there that Genesis was written during the time when Israel was wandering in the wilderness after exiting from Egypt, led by Moses. Which means we know that whoever the author is, he witnessed God's judgment on Egypt and Pharaoh with the plagues. He witnessed the separation of the Red Sea. He witnessed water flowing out of rocks. He witnessed manna coming from heaven. He witnessed a pillar of cloud guiding him and his fellow Israelites during the day and a pillar of fire guiding him at night. He had first-hand experience of God's presence. He also found himself around the time of the ancient Near East, the predominant cultures of the Sumerians, Egyptians, and Babylonians, and other Mesopotamian cultures. So he had exposure. In fact, he was greatly influenced by those cultures, by those religions, by those gods, by the folklore, and, of course, cosmology i.e. worldviews and creation stories. And so, like my daughter, 
all these ancient Near East narratives and cosmology was what we now call today science. His version of the nature of things. His education and understanding of how the world works was in those myths and cosmology. If the author was indeed Moses, it makes so much sense then to deduce Moses was influenced by Egyptian and ancient Near East cosmology, since he was educated in Egypt and had the best of the best, since really he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. So that's who our author is. He's seen God, he's experienced God, while also educated and understood how the world worked through ancient Near East narratives. So in light of all this, we start with an interesting bit of observation of Genesis 1. There are two bookends in this passage, and here they are. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Let's begin. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, let's blast over to the other side of the bookend. Found in chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and earth were finished. Notice the bookend. And all the hosts of them. And of the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Here's a quote from John Walton in his commentary on Genesis. Quote, In the ancient world, something existed when it had a function, i.e. a role to play. In Mesopotamia, one way to accomplish this was to name something because a name designated a thing's function or role. In Egyptian accounts, Existence was associated with something having been differentiated, i.e. separated and made distinct. Now, question is, what are these functions? These functions had to point to an overall purpose, right? Well, why did God then bother to have night and day separated from each other? In fact, in the next passages, this was only the beginning of many more times where he separated things. He separated waters, he separated heavens, he separated land, etc. Why did he start naming things in the first place instead of just leaving the heavens and the earth dull, void, and irrelevant? And that's where we see the other end of the bookend. You see, Egyptian stories, especially cosmology stories, commonly end with a seventh day, since they, being an agrarian culture, run on a calendar, and the common trait in all these stories is the seventh day reveals the whole purpose, the whole principle of the entire story that preceded it. This bookend serves the same purpose to provide the reason why God even bothered with this whole creation process in the first place. After the heavens and the earth were filled to the brim with living things, God separated one last thing, and that was the seventh day where he rested. So the whole trajectory, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1, the whole reason for everything 
was for rest. Or inter interestingly, in Hebrew, Shabbat. The ultimate purpose and function of God's creation was for Shabbat rest. Now, in English, we would call it Sabbath. But in Hebrew, it's Shabbat. So here's the question then. What is Shabbat? Is it just a do-nothing day or something more? Well, let's move on to the separation passages. For separation points to a purpose. Starting with verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Let's revisit the separation between day and night and light and darkness. Since this was repeated twice in this passage on separate occasions in verses 3 to 5 and 14 to 19, which means everything in the middle is quite important. The author here understood from his education and understanding of how the world works that order is better than chaos. And to get there, the first order of business is to define time and space which many of the other ancient Near East cosmologies begin as well. So from his experience with his, with his God, who sprung him out of Egypt, his understanding would be that God would have probably done the same thing. But instead of the plethora of gods that might have done this, and instead of creation stories that say that the world was created because the gods were having conflict, or they were jealous of each other, or because of family feuds, or a consequence of a, get this, a goddess who was ripped in half by Marduk? Yes, this was one of those stories. Just as bad as thinking the earth is flat. This author knew there was, there was and is only one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's the one who wanted to, to create order time and space and he wanted to do this out of his own pleasure and not by accident 
not by entertainment or not by such for competition with other gods. Because why? There were no other gods to compete with. There were no other gods to war against or prove one-upmanship. God was and is the God who brings order out of chaos. The God who separates, names, and gives purpose to everything, and thereby giving them existence. So the separation between the chaotic waters with waters, he, which he called seas, was for his good purpose. The separation of chaotic waters from the dry land, which God named earth, was for a good purpose. All these separation acts were for his good purpose, a purpose called Shabbat. Folks, let's go on a side note here and briefly discuss a bit more about the word separate. When God separates something for a purpose, especially in the Old Testament, we know from these early passages of Genesis that he sees what is separated for his purpose as good. And that runs along throughout the entire Old Testament. Some of us who have been Christians for quite some time know that this separation for God's purpose is also what we call holiness, i.e. to be separated for God's purpose. And so the author is telling us that creation in the beginning was holy for it served God's purpose of Shabbat. It is no wonder then that God commanded the Israelites and to us today that we are to keep his Shabbat holy. It is because by doing so, we experience what creation originally was, a glimpse, a taste of God's original creation, his holy creation. Okay. But we need to delve more into this because ultimately we want to know what Shabbat really is because if you're following along and you're a keener out there, Shabbat is starting to look a lot less like cessation and a lot less about a day to do absolutely nothing and watch football. And yet there is something more. That Shabbat is more than that. We've already encountered one characteristic about Shabbat. And that Shabbat does not have chaos and darkness, but light, order, and life. So let's move on to the next, in verse 20 to 28. And God said, Let the waters, sorry, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that, saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Twice God blessed, and twice God said, Be fruitful and multiply. 
God blessed all living creatures and humans by giving them this world that he created so that they can be fruitful and multiply. The author, after experiencing God's strength and power against evil and chaos caused by Pharaoh, he then experienced God's grace, mercy, and love towards him, the Israelites, and for all of humanity. Think about it. Some of you have read Exodus. How many times did the Israelites whine, complain, and screwed up? Countless! How can it be then, contrary to what the author was taught, that God created the, order, the world by accident or by consequence of war or jealousy? How can it be that the world was created because of that when the author has experienced grace, mercy, and love from his God? It can't be. How can it be that the gods are annoyed with human beings and wanted to control the population of all living things because they're noisy through plagues and disease when he, the author, experienced God's love and saw how God blessed Abraham, Isaac, Jacob with the nation of Israel? Because if his God was like any other God, he would have gave up on them, right? Think about it. All the whining and the complaining and the rebellion if his God, the one true God, was like the other gods who were really easily annoyed with human beings and would rather just get rid of them, the Israelites and himself, the author, would have been annihilated or they would have been abandoned or this God would have just chose somebody else to carry on his mission. Remember the golden calf? And so, no, this God... The God who freed him and his people from Egyptian slavery, from evil, is so much more than the gods that the humans created. And so much more than the gods that this author learned through his schooling and through the ancient Near Eastern mythologies. This God that this author experienced, the love that he experienced, the mercy that he experienced, and the grace that he's experienced from this God is so much more. This God also defeated all the gods of Egypt. Remember the plagues? And this God wants to take pleasure in seeing humanity and all living creatures flourish. To see all living things have bountiful opportunity to be fruitful and multiply in the world that he created for them. He saw all living things as good and pleasing to him and not some annoyance or something to serve his selfish purposes to defeat other gods like the gods that this author learned or or actually for some sort of competition with other gods. So this author knew that his God is way different from other gods, and his God is the one true God. And hence, the author says no to the ancient Near Eastern mythology. No, contrary to what he was taught, this God whom he has come to know and encounter and continue to experience is much more. And this God, his God, wants to love him and bless him, and not to enslave him, and treat him, and all living creatures as slaves, like this pharaoh guy who enslaved his peoples. This pharaoh guy also thought he was a god. God wants humanity to be his daughters and sons, to be his representatives, and take on the role as royalty on this world, and be a blessing to this world and everything in it, so that everything can be fruitful and multiply. So our next characteristic of Shabbat is this. Not only is Shabbat light and life, 
Shabbat is about fruitfulness and fullness, as opposed to enslavement, exploitation, competition, chaos, and emptiness. Shabbat has no zero sum. Let's move on. Genesis verses, chapter 1, verse 29 to 31. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. In Babylonian cosmology, human beings were created to be slaves for the gods, to do the stuff that the gods didn't want to do, i.e. chores, i.e. vacuum the house, i.e. take care of things and just keep the house tidy. They were slaves to the gods. This was what the author was taught all his life. They were to bring food to the gods and serve them. However, after the author experienced God's provisions with manna, quail, and water from the rocks, after the author experienced all the abundant provisions that God has given him and his fellow Israelites, how can it be possible that God made them to be slaves? How can it be possible that God would be the gods of Pharaoh where humans are there to serve and build things that would prop up the God's image or affirm the God's pride and authority? No, the author experienced his God as the only God. He doesn't need to be served or to have slaves to do his bidding in order to build pyramids and statues so that he can feel superior to humans and other gods because God is the only true God and God doesn't need those things. And when the author experienced God's provisions right down to the most practical of all things, which is food and water, his God, whom he has come to know, created the world for him to be fruitful. God wants to bless him and all of humanity and not to be as slaves. God wants humanity to take their place as his children and not as slaves. That was the whole purpose of creation, to provide Shabbat. God found rest. Shabbat, when he saw all he created flourish, fruitful, and no chaos, no irrelevance or emptiness. Creation was for the purpose of Shabbat. So what about now? You must be wondering, how can we take this home today? Well, we have Jesus. And Jesus says that in him, we find Shabbat, rest. What does that mean? In Jesus, we find our life purpose. In Jesus, we are enabled to flourish. In Jesus, we can be fruitful and find fullness in life. In Jesus, there is no chaos, there is no slavery, no exploitation, no irrelevance or emptiness. In Jesus, we find light and life. Jesus then is our Shabbath. Jesus brings us close to experience creation's original intent. We are not merely shadows and dust. We are not just a momentary speck in the indifferent universe. We are here created to be a blessing, to be blessed and loved by God. And in turn, we are to bless and love his creation and all living things. That is Shabbat and that is rest. Thank you everyone for joining with me today in this first chapter of Genesis. Till next time, 
Have a wonderful week.